You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Jen Harper. She is an award-winning social entrepreneur. And those that have always wondered, what does social entrepreneur really mean? We're going to get into that. She is the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics, Inc. And the company is a digitally native, direct-to-consumer brand that is helping Indigenous youth see themselves in a beauty brand while using the concept of a circular economy in the brand's ethos and in developing their latest line of products. Creating a new segment in the beauty industry, Sustainable Socially Conscious Beauty. Jen Harper has been making a name for herself in the beauty industry for a number of years, but has been gaining popularity quickly after being on the hit CBC show, Dragon's Den. Make sure you check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can watch that episode. And Cheekbone Beauty is helping Indigenous youth see themselves every day in a world that sometimes they don't see themselves in. So thank you so much for being here, Jen. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. So those that hear, and the term tossed around a lot, like social entrepreneur, you know, sometimes people say B Corp, some people say like we're a do good business. What does that really mean at its core? How would you define it to marketers and advertisers, that term? I think just simply is like doing good while doing business. So I think that's, I think the easiest way to sum it up for us. And to be perfectly honest, like that was a category when I started, there wasn't a lot of research on it, especially in Canada. I feel like we're kind of late to the game in operating this kind of business. And then early on, I was really just modeling some brands. I think that were doing it really well. Like for instance, I paid a lot of attention to Tom's shoes because I really loved the idea. And I think the beautiful part about this is it's just become part of the journey. It's just like, how can you keep doing business and keep doing good at the same time? That is incredible. So businesses that are doing it and kind of doing it from day one, incredible. Those that are realizing, man, I needed to stop, take a pause and change some things. There is, there is a parameter. B Corp has made kind of a survey and they've made a point system, which is pretty exciting. But what are some of the things that you are just doing on your own that you've initiated, that you're doing that say, man, we are a socially conscious beauty company that maybe some folks aren't doing? So from the beginning, I realized the world did not need another cosmetics brand. There's like 18 bazillion that exists <laughs> from and really think, great ones. <laughs> like, Ky- and I think Kylie Jenner and Ki- they're doing new ones every week, right? Or they've done one and it's... I think, yeah. I think they're adding to whatever okay. ones that they're yeah. creating, right? Okay. And so speaking of those Kylie Jenner lip kits, like around the same time, that's when we started... And it was like that stat that I read in like 10 minutes, they sold out. And I'm like, in my mind, can you imagine the possibility of sort of the funds you could create to put towards a good cause instead of just a personal bank account, really? Like, does the world need more billionaires? I don't think so. I think it needs to start supporting people and communities and the planet. And so we really took that idea from the beginning, after I had, you know, if you watched the Dragon's Den episode or if you've heard my story, it's like I had this crazy dream, no experience in the beauty industry, but there was these native little girls covered in lip gloss. I jump out of bed and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to figure out how to make lip gloss. And at the same time, I wanted to create this foundation in my grandmother's name, who was a residential school survivor. And so I was learning 
all about my history as an Indigenous woman, as an Ojibwe woman in, the, in Canada. Now realizing it, the more I've learned about my culture, I would never name something after my grandmother because it's not a very Anishinaabe. They don't do things like that. That's so colonial, really, right? All those statues we see with all these people's names on it. I would do something other than that now to honor her and create some kind of that scholarship that exists would be named something else, but for sure it would be to honor her. And that was really the goal. I was learning personally about my life and how that school system impacted me as a recovered alcoholic, but it really impacted my life in so many negative ways. And there's a term for it was generational trauma where that the things that she had to experience, she went off and left that school system 10 years of being there in the most sort of unloving environment and really trying to rip from her culture, language, everything. And then she goes back to the reservation or her home where she goes on and has eight children, my father being one of the oldest, but then there's trauma. And so then it created that cycle. And so unfortunately, when I discovered that, I felt like we needed to use our brand to talk about it, like just creating this like simple piece of awareness that I can't believe that I was 38 years old before I learned those truths about that school system and how it affected my life. So I can imagine so many other people like myself who were were learning as well as people who were not Indigenous and couldn't maybe understand why certain stereotypes existed about Indigenous people. And so the more that we were able to talk about it in a really comfortable space would help people just get a simple education, and then maybe think differently. At the end of the day, unfortunately, myself included, and I'll include myself here, I had these preconceived idea about Native people and why and certain things were the way they were, and just learned that it was all so untrue. And some of it was maybe true, but there's reasons. And so that allowed me to be a lot more apathetic about myself and heal. Really, it's been a powerful experience. That's incredible. So 10% of the profit goes to Shannon's dream. That's part Correct. of the things you do. And, and just in the choices of the material and the sourcing, all of that, you kind of make sure you stop and pause and say, okay, what's good for not just the bottom line, but also the environment. Correct? Yeah. And so, you know, last year I was really excited that it's over 100000 I think it was $108,000 we gave back to in-cash donations to the First Nation Child and Family Caring Society, which is Shannon's Dream, which talks about the unequal funding for kids that go to school on reservation, and then also in-kind donations to all kinds of youth organizations across North America. So really, really proud of that work that our team did last year, and we can't wait to keep doing more because we're all really happy that we get to wake up every day and come to this job. <laughs> you were, you know, as a person, you could stay kind of in your typical job and, and, you know, before you started this and just wear an orange shirt every year, and that could be enough. People that are wearing the orange shirt, it's amazing, right? We're taking a day, a year to acknowledge, educate what happened in the residential schools. But what do people need to do more than just the orange shirt? Or what do you want to say to those that wear the orange shirt every year, acknowledge the orange shirt, and... You know, what's your word to them? Do you want to encourage them? Do you want to say something of like, thank you for doing that? And here's something that you maybe didn't know about, even just the orange shirt movement. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still even probably pretty under the radar. This past year, I felt like it really did get a lot of attention. But as time goes on, will it still get that? What does it really mean? And I think it means just when you ask more questions about something that has happened in the past, it just helps you better understand people that you're dealing with. And so we all live in different communities and that have First Nations, Métis, or Inuit people 
here long before we were and maybe learning just a little bit more about them will help you understand and have better relationships. I think this is just we're just better off when we understand each other. They always say sort of the root causes for things maybe like racism is fear and so it's a fear of not knowing and so the more we get to know about one another as human beings I think the better off we'll all be. So speaking of which, so what are resources? Someone is listening to the show and they're saying, man, I am scared. I don't want to say the wrong word. I don't want to use the I word or can I use the I word? You know, <laughs> and do I say indigenous? Do I say first nations? Do I, you know, what do I say? Right. And yeah. so where can they go? What are some resources, books, videos? What can they consume to help them educate about, you know, connecting with, talking with, understanding the indigenous community that's around them, all around them right here in Canada? Yeah, sadly, I don't have a list of resources. I wish I did. It's a great question and one that I have been asked before. But my always my initial thought is just like learn about where you live first, right? Mm -hmm. And understand that, you know, the things we were taught in school aren't necessarily factual, that, you know, this wasn't a place that got discovered. There was people living here and thriving and living really beautiful lives together before that happened. And then truly understanding what that so-called discovery meant to that group of people that were here before. And that is just a first step, I say. And then, you know, quick Google search and follow. There's so many different groups or platforms or influencers you could follow to learn more. I think the idea of the pan-Indigenous thing too is really hard because once someone thinks they know about one culture, which is their community, maybe you are from the West and you're yeah. learning about the people of that land, but yeah. those are not the same as my people, right? Yeah. The people of Anishinaabe people that are yeah. around the Great Lakes. So it's a different sort of culture. It's not exactly the same thing. So truly understanding that, like when you say Native American or an Indigenous, that's just sort of like a sort of a broad term, very much, I think the best way to describe it is like the word Asian, right? In Asia, we have Thai people and we have Malaysian people and there's Japanese people. And so there's so many different, and Indigenous people are very much the same. So we are on the same sort of umbrella of being Indigenous, but there's so many different beautiful nations and cultures and tribes underneath that one big umbrella. And so when you learn about yours as a first step, you know, I think my favorite part about traveling the world is learning about the Indigenous people of all those areas that you get to visit. Incredible. And, and Indigenous Tourism Canada has some amazing resources, places you can visit, anywhere from wineries to experiences, overnights, hotels, food. Try some Bannock maybe this summer. That could be a goal you could put on your checklist. Jen, that was, that was a great piece there. One thing I learned, I live here in Fort Langley. There's a Hudson's Bay fort here in town. There's a recreation of it. But there's a famous train depot where people come and, you know, they're about to get married or they got married and they're you know, taking wedding photos. And it's very famous to get your wedding photos there. And I was with my friend Brenda one time and she was telling me, she's like, hey, did you know that's the train station that when families, their children were taken from them, that was the train station that they were picked up on. So she says that train station has a lot of really negative history for us because that's the mm -hmm. place where our children were taken and put on trains and taken to residential schools. Wow. Yeah. Now that you know that, you probably feel differently when you see that oh, train station, right? Every yeah. time. Every and time. And realizing the impact of what that taking away of those children actually meant, right? Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's wild. So I got asked this question, Jen, I love the founding story. And if you don't know it, watch the Dragon's Den episode, but about your dream. Have you had a dream yet or have you imagined or brainstormed yet the day your product is in Hudson's Bay? And what will that mean to you? 
Yeah, it's funny you ask that. They've asked us to be there, which is great. Jen, so yeah. so will you say yes? Or is this like, is this a big moment of like, hey, it's like 360, like coming back? Well, I feel like, you know, I loved their team, wonderful group of people to work with. But the more I'm learning about retailers is as a brand, we're just being really safe and thoughtful and strategic, if you will, about what kind of partnerships we create. And later this year, we are announcing a partnership with an international retailer in the space. So for us, our goal has always been massive reach and global domination in the beauty world. So we're holding out for the international partner. Amazing. I hosted a panel recently of Indigenous marketers right across the country. And I asked the question, have you ever seen yourself in an ad before? And most of their answer was very similar. They all talked about this pain medicine where there was a guy with a big, you know. Yeah, I know exactly know, what you're yeah, talking Yeah, we all know it. And then actually one of the guests on the panel said, no, you know what, actually about five years ago, and this is pre, you know, BLM, pre-BIPOC awareness, Sephora had a Indigenous woman in an ad this incredible spokeswoman, advocate, leader. And she says, that was the first time I ever saw myself in an ad. And she said, and, and, and so I just want to say, Sephora, Mark and Kim, if you're listening, shout out to you again. Way to go in doing something before anyone else took the time or the effort or had the courage to do. So, Yeah, it was pretty powerful. I think she's talking about Serene Fox, right? Yeah. And I think it was only two years ago from what oh, I remember. Two years ago. Sorry. I yes, don't know yes. if they did it before. I don't remember, but I kind of definitely when they did it two years ago, I was like, wow, that's really powerful to see, right? And they did it in the United States version. So I think they used Serene in the .ca ad and marketing campaign. And then they used another girl I know from Arizona in their American one. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I don't think they even know (laughs) because I get to see the messages, how and what that means for our communities. It is incredible. Like I get to hear and read emails and direct messages from, you know, Indigenous kids that just talk about the fact that they saw themselves and know, like when they see our brand or someone like Serene and they see and know that this person grew up and understands their life and the community that they came from, it really is powerful on so many levels. I can only tell you there's a time we received an email from a mom who adopted an Indigenous little girl, and I believe they're from the West in Canada. And she said she ordered our products, love them, but she wanted to share that, you know, as a mom who's white and adopted a Native little girl, she's trying so hard to make sure she always feels connected to her people. And so at the time we had five models on the postcard, the little girl gets home from school and saw them and was like, these girls look like me. Like she was so moved by that. And the mom said she was literally bouncing for the rest of the evening and before she went to bed and had the postcard like in her hand while she was going to sleep that night, like a piece of paper. Like how crazy is that? So how important is it that our kids see themselves and feel like they belong somewhere? And that's what, you know, I think Sephora personally does a great job of helping people feel like they belong. And as a brand that is truly trying to represent and highlight Indigenous faces, it is one of our goals to make people feel like they belong. And even for us, believe it or not, as the folks that don't look Indigenous, that are, 
that for their whole lives don't feel like they belong because they've been told you don't look Indigenous enough too, that's really important to us as a brand to make sure that they feel like they have a space where they belong as well. So there's a lot. There's a lot of work to do constantly. And for us, it's become, it's all out of love. Like just Mm -hmm. this idea and concept of adding even like love into our business. We talk a lot about of love with our internal marketing team and as a whole constantly about just, we just want people to feel like they are loved when they buy something from Cheekbone Beauty, when they hit our social media pages, like that concept of just spreading more of that. Like this is missing in our world. And the idea for us of love, our definition of it is doing things for people that can never pay you back in any way. And that's that's sort of the meaning that we express. Amazing. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Jen, you mentioned some creators to watch. I'm going to mention some of my favorite. Mikey Harris, an amazing dancer. <laughs> I if love you him. My, um, Notorious Cree, incredible. Yes. There's the Throat Singers, which is actually a mother and daughter. So you can follow both or follow their primary account. But so many great accounts to follow. I'm going to put some links to some. Fawn Wood is another one just to check out. But yeah, so many incredible creators. I love that Notorious Cree will even do knowledge bombs mm-hmm. or education moments of like, Three things not to ask an indigenous person, right? Or, yeah. or you know, and it's he's beautiful. really incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been great to see people using the platform for good. Speaking of education and learning, how are you using some of your indigenous wisdom for your own brand? What does that look like? And what's kind of maybe some of the advantages? And what are the things that you're maybe kind of baking into what you're doing? And and again, to the point where, and those that don't know, and Jen, maybe we're going to talk about this, and maybe you're you know, so humble you won't, but you, you've spoken to entrepreneur groups, women in business associations, Apple Canada, like they've all reached out to you to speak to what's happening in their businesses. So give us some of the insight behind the curtain of what are you guys doing that's so cool. So a couple things, when you start a company, the really cool thing is you get to create the culture in the company, right? And so I call it a giant experiment because, you know, we're a startup in my mind still. And I'm like, we're seeing what works, what sticks and what doesn't, right? And so we've built into our company culture, this idea of pre-1492 is one step, right? Like pre-colonization, what does our business look like? And so actually, it's really challenging because it means the norms of posting about Easter, we don't do any of those things. You'll never see a secular holiday celebration that's even based on maybe religious beliefs, those things. You'll never see any of that touch our branding because we're trying to stay authentically Indigenous in that way, but with a modern twist, obviously. But removing all of those things that I think have impacted our culture negatively. And so we enter all of our campaigns kind of in with that thought process. And then also incorporating from my culture, which is Anishinaabe teachings, the seven grandfather teachings. And so those are things like you just spoke about, humility, courage, integrity, honesty, all of these things. And we try to do everything, love that comes from those places. And not only as a company, but then in how we create a post or how we create a campaign and sort of really reach inside all of us and find sort of the best 
things to use at that time. So that's what like internally we do. It's not always easy, but we're trying our best. And because we are, we're in a different world and space, but how do you use those incredible insights to build a company culture? And then now even further, we're digging so much deeper because this concept of sustainability, this is not new for Indigenous people. We know that this is like I've said before, I believe they're the OGs of this idea that we see in the world. I mean, there's you know, some brilliant scientists that have made statements. I think David Suzuki is one of them that like if mm-hmm. the entire world followed Indigenous people and watched how they lived and worked and operated, our world would look completely different. And so we're using those ideas and concepts, one being that whole idea of seven generations thinking ahead. There's non-Indigenous brands that's exactly called seven generations, right? And they did that for a reason because they're an eco-green friendly brand realizing that that's an Indigenous teaching. So if you were to think seven generations ahead, how what you're doing today, how will that impact the next generations? And so that's just one idea we're also layering into it. So at the same time, I think it's really important to look to science, not anecdotal evidence, right? Especially I'm in an industry where, you know, this skin product worked for me and everyone assumes because it worked for Kylie Jenner, just to keep using her as the example, that it will work for them. Well, that in fact is not true, right? So the reality is our DNA is like what, one in four trillion. So just our skin is much like that as well. We're all different. And so it's important just to not believe the evidence based on just one person using something that it's going to work for everyone. And so we, and then when it comes to our sustainability mission, using that concept, which is called life cycle thinking or life cycle analysis. So from harvesting of the raw ingredients that go into a product to the end of life of a product. So where will that end up? If it's a landfill, then we're doing our best as a brand to try to not allow that to happen. And that involves every step of the along the way of that cycle, whether it comes to the design work. And most importantly for us, it's mostly about the raw ingredients, the beginnings of how things start out. So also being ethically sourced, you know, when things like mica are a problem in the beauty industry where children are actually the ones mining the mica, there's so many different options. And these are questions that consumers I don't think always know to ask, you know, like, where do you get your mica from? (laughs) And if a brand can't answer that, then number one, they're not even making their own products or know the makers or the suppliers of their raw ingredients, which is, again, in itself, another scary space to be in. And so the truth is I've entered an industry where the barrier to entry, the bar is really, really low, which is really sad, right? Like that's sad at the end of the day that it is that easy to enter this industry, which means when you get here, what do you do? Do you keep, you know, staying at that low level or do you then change your vision and mission for your products to meet better standards, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. You're amazing. Thank you for that. You're doing so great, by the way. I want to talk about the name, Cheekbone. Cheekbone Mm. Beauty. What does it mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your brand? And what does it mean for the marketing efforts that you guys do all the time? So it took me like quite a few months to actually come up with a name. It's so funny when you, you know, you're like, I have this business idea and you don't know what it's going to be called or what it, what any of that part looks like. So I was listening to a podcast and it was like Sarah Blakely talking about her brand and how she built Spanx. And in part of the podcast, they asked about the name and she said she remembered reading something about the K sound and how 
humans, we just remember the K sound and comedians use it a lot for that very reason. And so I was like, kept thinking, okay, like for me, I was like, okay, where can I get a K word? Right. And then it just came to me driving. And like, I did a lot of thinking driving because I was still a sales rep for the seafood company that I'd worked for. And I was like, cheekbone, like, oh my goodness. Like I love cheekbones on every human. It's a feature that I've always admired. So that fit and worked. And then got home and I'm looking up obviously trademarks and words and brand. Couldn't find anything. So I was like, what? This is crazy. Like there's a lot of things you'd be looking up at the time and thinking, oh no, it's like it's already taken used. So the domain cheekbone beauty was available. And it worked. And then I did more research on it in terms of marketing and people with cheekbones are perceived as more trustworthy. And so I really, really love that as well. So there was like three things that I was like, I think helped me come up with the name. And I'm shocked because once I realized we'd spelt it correctly, like we used a real word here. And then I read like how hard that's going to be to trademark and January just passed. It's taken three years, but we got a letter from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that we own the word cheekbone with their logo, right? So it's phenomenal. And Canada wouldn't do that for us forever. And finally, we sent them how the U.S. did it, our lawyers did, and they're like, oh, okay, then they did it. I'm like, come on, really? It's a weak Canada. (laughs) Good for you. That's very, very cool. What are some kind of marketing efforts or advertising techniques? I know those that are big fans of Insight Magazine, there's some great kind of print mail campaigns that someone can do. If you haven't grabbed your Insight Magazine yet, make sure you pick that up. It is so much fun to get inspiration when it comes to print offline campaigns. But being a digitally native company, what are some things that you guys are going to be rolling out this year that we can look forward to? Well, in terms of more campaigns, I think we feel like we love what we're doing and it's working. So we're not getting too crazy with changing things up. (laughs) However, I think for growth, we're looking at that sort of adding distribution channels. And for us, that was the retail partnership we had been searching for for a long time. And so that will work out this year. But we love our advocate program, huge for us. It's amazing. You know, it's been said many times that like building a business is about building customers that build your business for you by talking about it. And so we've really had this incredible like flywheel system where we feel like that's happening so, so well. And we get customers and they just love to keep talking about us. And thankfully to the power of social media platforms, it just keeps working. So there's obviously a lot more programs that we want to incorporate, but you know, we're being really thoughtful budgetary wise this year. We've spent so much money. So we're trying to be really scrappy still, especially because we're still in the startup phase and we're spending a lot of money on innovation in terms of our sustainability efforts. So we've actually had to scale back on how much we're spending on marketing. So those are like, as the leader, those are hard decisions you have to make sometimes. But when we're focused on the innovation part, because I firmly believe Our customers, when they're watching our sort of behind-the-scenes stuff of our lab that we've built and hiring our full-time chemist, and when we get in there and get to share those, I feel like there's still going to be these just amazing preachers and advocates for us about our brand and what we're doing because they get to be a part of the -the behind-the-scenes journey. Awesome. Tell us about the limited edition spring gift box that's available and kind of what your motivation behind that was. 
we launched this last year and it was really successful. It was just another, we call it streams of giving when we just try to constantly come up with different ways versus like streams of revenue of different ways we can give back. So this give box is one of them and we do it every spring and summer and we pick indigenous brands generally get put in the box and then some non-indigenous brands that have been incredible partners and advocates for us. So we work really closely with them as well. But initially, our first one last year was really cool because we picked all Indigenous smaller brands. We're in the beginning of a pandemic, and that was our way of trying to support and spread the message about great smaller Indigenous brands. Then we pick a cause that we love to give back to. And so one organization that we're so happy to support and really helps us lessen our carbon footprint, right, helps neutralize us is planting trees. And we do this project, we'll be planting a bunch of trees when we're done when we finish the spring box with one planted tree. So yeah, it's finding great organizations. And then last spring, it was with the Navajo Water Project. So with our cousins in the United States, we actually got a family solar power and clean drinking water for their home on a Navajo reservation with the help of it's called Dig Deep. And then the project within Dig Deep is called the Navajo Water project. So just so many incredible organizations to partner with. And it feels really, really good to be able to do that. Amazing. Just as a shout out in what you're saying, ravenreads.org, an incredible subscription service where you can subscribe to books for adults, books for kids. Let's give a shout out to them. What do you know about them? You know, I love the founder. Nicole is amazing. Yeah. We have been like sort of on this entrepreneurial journey together for quite some time and early on I remember she reached out when we you know and she was starting her box she was like sweetgrass lip gloss was one of the first items she put in that box and so I mean I'm a customer of hers I get that every half a year I'm getting a, a new book to read so not only do you get an incredible book to read with indigenous writers and stories you're getting a product from another indigenous brand so it's pretty awesome. Amazing. And those that are listening, watching and wondering, okay, so I've, you know, I want to support the indigenous businesses in my country. I want to give back. I want to, you know, figure out a way just to kind of, you know, diversify where I'm investing or where I'm spending my money. Two great options, Cheekbone Beauty, Raven Reads, just as a way to kind of put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to know, coming down the pipe, you know, we're going to see more products coming out. What are you most excited about for this upcoming year? What are you saying that like, man, this is something that I feel <sighs> we have a really cool opportunity, what we're positioned for, that you're able to say, or maybe it's just sign up for our e-newsletter and wait for this amazing announcement. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, we've been talking about it for a long time. Actually, Elle Canada had like a two-page spread on it. So I'm not being shy, but pre-pandemic, we have been working on a foundation that uses agricultural or plant waste. So pulling from a landfill and actually making an ingredient that's a usable product for a customer. So really speaks to the stories that we want to tell. Mm. Pulling from our, you know, that indigenous wisdom about reusing, repurposing, and then, you know, using incredible plant actives and ingredients and pulling those and putting them to our products has become a really important part. And so with that product, we hope to launch by the end of this year or into 2022. It's taken so long because 
our partner that is making the waste ingredient really had to completely shut down. Every time we go into another lockdown, they have to completely shut down and it's awful. So now we have, we're still waiting on that order to be fulfilled. So, you know, we have enough of their ingredient to work and make our samples and all of those sorts of things to do the stability testing that we've been working on for so long. So we're just waiting to really be able to launch that. And then it's about picking the shade range. Like, how are we going to do that? We're a small brand. I can't, not Rihanna, I can't launch 40 shades, right? So I'm like, how is how are we effectively going to create this foundation so that it's possibly really user-friendly for maybe, you know, a shade range versus one shade in particular? Foundation is one of the hardest products that as a foundation user to find, whether you're even in store. So now come to the space where we're trying to do this digitally. I'm having nightmares every night, I'll tell you, about launching a foundation product because we need some incredible technology to help our customers pick the right shade. Every yeah. foundation I've ordered online has come in the wrong shade this last year. So I'm, yeah, this is what's keeping me out at, up at night, but also what I'm the most excited about because I really believe in the product. Like it's so light, so sheer, but it, the coverage is amazing. And I just love that it is, this is sustainability, you know, and we're really working hard at perfecting the packaging portion part of this. That's been the hardest thing. We have the foundation mastered. It's the packaging now that we're really working on. Jen, that's awesome. That's very exciting. So we're going to keep an eye out. We're going to sign up to your mailing list. I love just the ways that you're giving back. This is such an exciting company. Anything else that you want to leave with listeners, viewers? I just want everyone to be kind, you know, like enter your day with, you know, really realizing we have no idea what any other fellow human being is going through. And just if we could be more kinder and compassionate and empathetic people, I think we'd all be a lot happier. Awesome. Jen, thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks everyone for joining us this week. Marketing News Canada, Cheekbone Beauty. We'll put links in the show notes here to check it out. Incredible products, incredible story, incredible motivation, incredible ways that they are giving back and changing an industry from the inside out. We'll see everyone next week on Marketing News Canada. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded at the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editor, Travis Jeffers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.